0: If you have your Bibles, go ahead and flip with me to Ephesians chapter 6. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6, and today we'll be reading verses 1 through 4. Ephesians chapter 6, 1 through 4. As you're flipping there, let me remind you of the context of this series, some of the things that we've been focusing on. Ephesians is a letter in which Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus and what he has emphasized is remember that you were sinners who were lost in sin you were facing death and you have this wonderful and magnificent God who reached down offered you forgiveness, offered you grace offered you life and he took you from a death sentence and raised you to heavenly royalty and so he really sets this tone for them to remember what it is that God, through Jesus, has done in their lives. And then he encourages them to walk in a way that imitates their Father. And the point that he's trying to emphasize is, you cannot earn salvation. Your good behavior gets you no God points. Your good behavior will not get you into heaven. Your good behavior doesn't even call down God's favor upon you. What your good behavior does is it reflects that you are appreciative of what God has done already in your life and your good behavior becomes a testimony that shows to people the power of the gospel in your life and so the encouragement is don't be good people to earn God's favor but because of God's favor be good people. And so he starts to go through these specific relationships in our lives and to start touching on specific behaviors that very much are a testimony to the people in our world. And so he focuses on sexual morality, he focuses on husbands and wives, and today he will focus on children and parents. Now throughout this series I said one of the key things for us to focus on is that we have to understand when God speaks about these relationships he is setting an ideal. He is saying, this is the highest. This is what I want you to strive to attain for. This is where your sights should be. Now, the reality of those ideas is they are impossible for man to do in and of his own power. If you and I try to use our own goodness, our own intelligence, our own wisdom to live these things out, we will fail. Maybe not in all of them, but at the very least in some of them. And so throughout this, we kept pointing back to John 15, 5, where Jesus gives us this analogy of how a relationship with him should work. He says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And so what Jesus is saying to us is, don't go to yourself first. Most of us, what we try to do is we try to use our wisdom, our strength, our love, our power, our knowledge to get through life. And it's only when we come up lacking that we then fall on our knees and go, Jesus, I need your help. Jesus, I need you to get me out of this. Jesus, I need to fill my gaps. Jesus, where are you at? And what Paul's saying is, "Uh uh-uh, go to him from the start. From day one, fall on your knees and go, Father, today, what shall I do? Father, today I need your love, your wisdom, your power, your knowledge. Always, always relying on him. And when we do that, what happens is we will find that we are empowered to live to these ideals in a way that we never could if we were trying to do it on our own. All right, let's look at Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. This is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first command with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So, short passage, but a lot to unpack there. This was a passage my father knew well in our house. My father is a huge disciplinarian. And I even learned as a child, I kind of had this impression that maybe around 16, 17, 18, that like once I moved out, like the discipline would disappear. I have learned I will be disciplined my entire life. I guarantee you uh, there will be times in my life where I will be a 57-year-old man, and my father will go, Luke, we need to talk. And hopefully he'll just say Luke. If he says Luke James, I'll know it's real bad, and I'm in trouble. Now, what was funny for me about this is I realized where he learned this was not just from himself, but from his father. There was a period back in 2002, it was right after high school, that we had to move to my grandfather's house. And um, it was funny, because it was the first time I had ever seen my father live in my grandpa's house. I'd always known that my grandpa was a good and godly man. I always knew that he was very strict. I always knew that he loved the Lord and had a deep passion for him. But I'd never seen these day-to-day interactions. And so I'll never forget my grandpa, how he disciplined my dad, was he would walk downstairs, because we were in the basement, and he'd go, Jim, do you have a moment? We need to go for a walk. And what was funny is, is, as soon as he said that, I would see this look in my father's eye that I'm like, I know that look. I have given that look to my dad many a time. And what I started to realize was, is when my grandpa said, Jim, we need to go for a walk. That meant my dad was getting in trouble. <laughs> and I'd watch my dad drop whatever he was doing, walk outside with his father, and go get lectured. Now part of me was like, that's sad, but part of me was like, this is hilarious. It is funny to watch my dad, a grown man who is probably the most moral guy I know, getting lectured by his father, even though he has his own children. And I realize this just never ever changes. It never goes away. Discipline is always part of the fabric of our lives and our relationship with God. Now, there's a few things I want you to understand as we look at this. The first is is just what's the context of how God looks at children. God looks at children as a precious, precious gift. He looks at them as a precious gift. So everything we have in this church is worth nothing in comparison to those children in those rooms back there who are learning about the Lord. And we have a duty as members of this church to not only care about our own children, but to care about every single child that is here. Now God tells us a lot about children and why they're so precious to Him. In Mark 10, 14, Jesus said, let the children come to me, do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom. In fact, regularly, Jesus was stressing, I need you guys who are adults to have more childlike faith. A child trusts their father and their mother to a different degree than adults do. Nowadays, if people want us to do something, we're like, why? What's the intention? What's your motive? What are you trying to get at? What's the end game here? What's in it for me? we have millions of questions but as a child dad walks in and goes time to go you go great okay let's go let me jump in the car you just go because father has asked you to go and jesus always wanted his followers to have that kind of relationship with their heavenly father where god shows up and goes i need you to do this and we go gotcha i'm on it not one where we go "Well, wait a minute you know what? i've got my own plan i think it's better Or you know what, there's a few things I don't understand here. Can we walk through these before I do this? He wanted to have a childlike obedience where you go, Father, if you ask me to do it, I'll do it. And so what's important is some of you will be sitting here and go, I don't have kids. I don't have a relationship with my parents. Why does this pertain to me? It pertains to you because every single relationship reflects our relationship with God. Every single one of them. And so God says, I need you to be like these children. Now, why are they so precious to Him? They're precious to Him for many reasons, but one of them is unveiled to us in Psalm 139. In Psalm 139, God clears up that these children that you and I have are not ours. They may have our DNA, they may be given to us to care for and to love, but at the end of the day, these children belong to God. In Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16, God describes how we are formed. It is God who handcrafted your child's spirit before they ever set foot on this earth. It is God who intricately wove them together. It is God who picked each individual thread of their personality and of their being. It was God who even before they set foot on this earth knew the days that they would live, knew what he had called them for and what their destinies were to be. God intricately loves these children because ultimately they're his children as a parent that was probably one of the things that has changed my perspective more than anything was starting to realize those boys are not my boys. They're His. And God has given them to me to take care of to love and to encourage. And at the end of the day I am not responsible to myself for how I raise them. I'm responsible to Him. I will have account before God Almighty on how I raise those boys up. The second thing we see here is in Psalm 127 verses 3 through 5. It says, Behold, a children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate." So not only is it God himself who creates these young children, but God views them as a reward to his people. there's probably some days you feel like your kids are a reward and there's probably some days you feel like your kids are a punishment right? You have those days back and forth? Because some days they're making you pull your hair out and some days they're making you smile and some days they do both in fact that's typically how it works right? One moment you're unbelievably frustrated and the next moment you're like these guys are awesome I love these guys but it is God who makes them and it is God who rewards them to you again, who's the ownership belong to? God, not you These children are unbelievably precious to him. Second thing is, again remember, all relationships reflect our relationship with God. I think this is so important. In our day and age, we have become a people that like to separate and categorize parts of our lives. We have work friends and work behavior. We have family friends and family behavior. We have personal friends and personal behavior. And have you ever seen somebody have their worlds collide and they don't know what to do? The church friend runs into a work friend and it's like, uh-oh, please don't talk. They do not want you guys sharing stories. And the reason for that is, is when people have that fear, it's because they're acting very different in one place than they are in the other. There's a lack of consistency of character. I'll tell you why I often see this is I see this so much in the divorced parenting. I'll see people who on one weekend they're mom and the kids are with them and on that weekend they're gonna be reserved and they're gonna be smart and they're gonna make good decisions and they're gonna be wise. But next weekend they're not mine. So I'm going out and I'm drinking and I'm partying and I'm gonna act like I'm 18 years old and I'm in college again. And you go, wait a minute, whether your kids are with you or not with you does not change that you're a mother. Whether your kids are with you or without you does not change that you're a father. You as a parent, in anything that you should do, should be willing to stand by those actions like your child was sitting there with you in that moment. If there are things you regularly do in your life that you would be ashamed to show your children, those things need to disappear. Because guess what? They'll see them eventually. They'll know them eventually. And so what we need to start realizing is, is the relationships that God gives us are more complex than that they're not even just between you and that person, they're really between you, that person, and God. When I expect my children to obey me, that shows I reflect that I expect to obey God my Father. When I treat them with love and with sacrifice, it's because I'm showing that that's not just what I want to do, it's because I realize He's done that for me. And so everything starts to become a testimony to our relationship with God. Why do I do what I do for my children? To show people what God has done in my life. Why do I respect my parents the way that I have? To show people how I respect my God who gave me them. Why do I love the people at work? Because God has asked me to, and it reflects the love that He has for people. See, brothers and sisters, the reality is if a relationship is just between human beings, we will always find reasons to not like each other, to not love each other, and to not be good to each other. Why? Because we're all mess-ups. Every single one of us. Every single one of us is selfish in some way. Every single one of us has our own character flaws. Every single one of us has our own sins. And so if you put us together and you go, hey, earn my love, we will always find an excuse not to give it. But the moment you bring God into a relationship, all of a sudden you start to find the proper motives. You start to realize, well, with God, I can't earn His love. He just gives it freely. With God, He constantly forgives me and looks past my weaknesses and sins. With God, He constantly sacrifices for me. And so you start to do those things in your relationships with people. And we need to understand that more deeply. Let's look at Ephesians, just verses six, verses one through three. They specifically talk to the children. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, this is the first command with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. So, a couple things there. Children are to obey. Just as when we looked at husbands and wives, you could sum up, wives are to submit, husbands are to sacrifice, children are to obey. If we do not see obedience in our children's lives, that reflects a terrible precedent, not only in our own relationships, but ultimately in the relationship with God. Because ultimately what's going to happen is, think of the role you get as a father. God himself has put himself into what spiritual role for us? He calls himself our heavenly father. So men, think for a second. If you're a father, God has set you up as the prototype example to your children of what he looks like. Because let's be real, a young child's first example of father is not going to be the non-physical God that they can't see and the voice they don't hear. It's going to be the father in the house raising them and loving them. One of the biggest things pastors have had to work over the last 30 years on is that parent or father has gone from a positive word to a negative word. It used to be when you said God is like your father, most people would go, awesome, awesome. My dad was a loving, good man who was always there for me. Nowadays, you almost have to explain it. Because when you go, he's like your father, they go, I hope not. Please tell me he's not like my dad. I want to be nothing like my dad. We have so many of them go, I don't even know who my dad is. I only saw him on weekends or once a week. God gave men the responsibility to be the prototype image to their children of what ultimately God looks like. And so in our relationship with our children, if our children don't obey us, why would we ever imagine one day they're going to set up and go, I'm going to obey God now? Obedience will have nothing to do with their character or with their life. And so we have to see obedience be an important thing in our children's life. Look at Exodus 20.12. Honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land and that the Lord your God is giving you. So there's two things here. There's obedience and there's honor. Obedience and honor. Now, they're almost two sides of the same coin, but they're slightly different. Obedience is more direct in response to a command. Mom and dad say, do this, I do that. Honor is a bigger thing. Honor is more about an attitude and a spirit. It's more about, even in those areas where mom and dad did not give me direct advice or direct commands, my goal is to bring them honor. My goal is to live in such a way and behave in such a way that shows them respect and shows them that I appreciate them and lift them up for everything that they are. And so a lot of times for us as we get older, obedience becomes less of a thing Because on a day-to-day interaction, we don't have mom and dad giving us commands anymore. But honor still stays of a premium importance. Because the way we live, the things we do, reflect on them. And see, brothers and sisters, ultimately what we've got to start realizing about God's perspective of relationships, which is hard for all of us is, God never really looks at you and goes, your actions are on you. They're just you. See, we like that. We want to have complete ownership to go, I can do whatever I want, and I'm only beholden to myself. I'm not responsible to anybody else, I don't reflect on anybody else, I don't owe anything to anybody else, we just want the freedom to go, "I I can do whatever I want. God goes, that's not how it works, guys. Everything you do reflects somewhere. Everything you do reflects on him, everything you do reflects on your parents, everything you do reflects on all the people in your life. And so your actions and behavior—they carry a weight with them that is much more important than just what you know. It's an impact to all those relationships. And do we think about that? Proverbs twenty eleven: Even a child makes himself known by his acts, by whether his conduct is pure and whether his conduct is right. Do you notice in chapter six who is Paul addressing? The children. <sighs> He's addressing the children. Your children need to know this word. Your children need to be familiar with God, His wisdom, and His knowledge. It's why what we've tried to do in children's church is we've tried to make it actually church service for kids. It's not babysitting. Yes, there's craft and there's snack time, which you guys don't get to partake in. But they go back there, they pray, they worship, and they read the word. Why? Because all that's going to happen when they get older is they're going to come in here to pray, worship, and to read the word. We've made it clear to everybody who visits and everybody who has their kids that is not babysitting. It's a church. You have a responsibility, parents, to put your children not just close to you, but close to God. And that has to be something that you're passionate about on a regular basis. And what we have to also understand is, even as children, God says your conduct reflects who you are. So when we see a holy terror of a child running around, that should not be something we laugh at. That should not be something like, oh, that's cute, kids will be kids. It should be something where we go, that behavior is reflecting their character. And not according to me, but according to God's word. And so when the character of a child reflected in their behavior is disobedience, disrespect, and chaos, we need to go, that's an issue. And we need to correct it. And there's too many of us that don't. Completely ignore it. It has to be a way we change the way we think. Now for grown children, this focuses on the honoring part. Look at 1 Timothy 5.8 but if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. (coughs) Did you read those words? (coughs) If anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his own household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. There are so many of us who as we become older, we don't reflect the honor to our parents anymore. I know everybody's lives are different, I know everybody's situations are different, so I'm not going to try to say everybody fits into this boat, but there are far too many children who when their parents come time to need help, the parents or the children go, "Uh, I can't. Why don't we find you a nice, quiet home somewhere Well, they'll take care of you? Why don't we find a place for you to go where, where I can live my life the way I want to. And I'll visit every now and then. But like bringing you into my house like that, yeah, that'd be disruptive. And that, yeah, that'd shake things up a bit. I don't know if I'm ready for that. How, how does that reflect honor? How does that reflect love? How does that reflect sacrifice? How does that reflect a respect of what those people did for you when you were a child? Because Lord knows having children in your house is disruptful. Changes everything. Now again, I know there's some of us, we're not in a position where our house is capable of doing that. I know some of us are in positions where our finances are not capable of that. I know in some positions the health of the family member is such they can't be at home. They have to be somewhere with professional medical care. (laughs) But brothers and sisters, there's a lot of us who we have family members who are hurting, moms and dads, and we're turning a blind eye to it. It should not be the way it works. And God's very clear about that. Your duty to honor your parents is a lifelong thing. Always. Now look at Ephesians 6.4. Here Paul flips his attention from children to parents. And so in 6.4... He says fathers do not provoke your children to anger but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the lord brothers and sisters this is again this whole book basically is a place where you realize god's ideal is no longer reflected in our society god's ideals is just no longer reflected in our society we have a responsibility as parents to discipline discipline our children. And I only have a, a few verses here, but this is throughout Scripture. You will just find throughout Scripture, God continually goes, you need to discipline your children, you need to discipline them with the rod, you need to discipline your children, over and over again. Discipline your son, and he will give you rest. He will give you delight in your heart. With parents, what God is asking you to do is to sacrifice in the right way for your children, for long-term benefits. And here's why I say sacrifice. It is easier not to discipline your kids. Just this. In the moment, it is much easier to not discipline your kids. And you can find a million excuses not to do it. Ah, well, they're tired, they're hungry, it's been a long day, you know, I just got home, I don't want the first thing to do to be disciplined. You can always find a reason. But what God goes is, don't you get you're only hurting them. An undisciplined child is not beneficial to anyone, including them. Trust me, there are days I get home and the last thing I want to do is to yell at Ty and spank him. But there's days that's exactly what he needs. And I hate that in our only two, three hours we get together that day, that 30 or 45 minutes might be about something he's messed up on and correction that he needs to receive. But that's my job. Nowhere in this book will I find God go, hey, your job is to have tons of fun with your kid and be his best friend. Because your job is to raise them right and to discipline them. And over and over again, he talks about this. And you know what's brilliant? Is God's wise and knows what he's talking about? You know what's great about disciplining them, especially when they're young? It builds a pattern. And then you know what you find? Your life's fun, your life's enjoyable. Because they know that it's important to please you. They know it's important to obey you. And so they start to do it on their own. I reached a point with Ty now where I can just sometimes give him a look. And he knows, like, I'm treading on thin ice. If I continue to take steps forward, I'm asking for discipline. So I'm not going to. It's that important. and We have that kind of repertoire of discipline that he knows Not going to go there because I understand what's at stake here. There's some days where he looks at me and goes, I'm going to go there. And then I have to go, okay, you called my bluff, so now I'm actually going to have to follow through. But what's beautiful is you start to build discipline in and you start to have good kids. And you start to have kids in your life where you can actually do stuff. You can go to a restaurant. You can go out in public. You can do fun things with them because you're not sitting there constantly like, I got a nuclear bomb and I don't know when it's going to go off. But so many of us don't do this, and then what ends up happening is our children are not our delights. They're our terrors. You know what I'm talking about? You've been to the house where the four-year-old runs the show. You've been to the house where the four-year-old is keeping parents hostage. Where basically you see two grown adults going, whatever we need to do to keep them from screaming is what we will do. And you go, this isn't fun. This isn't loving. This isn't good. Why are we doing this? Do not withhold discipline from a child. If you strike him with a rod, he will not die. I love that one. God's like, wake up, people. Spanking your kids, not gonna kill him. And, and I was like, it's clear, like when he says discipline, he's not saying, now guys, let's not do that again. He's saying there's times you need to spank your kids. There are times that you need to spank your kids. Now, there's a difference between spanking and beating, but the key is is that when you do that, you discipline in a tone of love, but throughout, God speaks to this, and the key differentiation for him is that when you do this, what's your motivation? If you're disciplining your child, if you're spanking your child, and you're doing it with anger, you need to stop. So if you feel yourself in that moment and you're hot and you're not clear, you're not thinking, step back. Don't not discipline them, but calm down. Because when you discipline, the motive should be, I'm trying to show this child that I love. I'm doing the hard thing now because I want the right thing for them in the future. It's funny, I never understood when my dad said, this hurts me more than you. I always thought he was lying. Now I get it. Now I absolutely get it. Because there's days I'm sitting, I'm like, I do not want to do this. But they do not want to do this at all, especially Jake. Oh my gosh, the two-year-old. Start discipline and spanking a two-year-old is like crazy hard. You just don't want to. But there's times you look at him and you go, you know what you're doing, son. You have chosen to specifically go down a path of di- uh, of not listening and not obeying, and you're pushing me, and you're testing me. And in this moment, I have to show you there are, there is boundaries. It's hard. But the motive in your heart at those times should be love. It should absolutely be love. Look at what God says, Proverbs 13, 24. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Do you understand God's perspective on this? <laughs> God actually looks at all of us who go, I'm, I'm not going to do it. Not going to. And he goes, if you say that, Your actions basically show me you don't love these children. I would say you hate them, that you won't do this for them. Think how strong he's wording this. It's not like a soft stance God's taking here. He's taking a very, very strong stance. You need to discipline your children. You need to discipline them in love. And if you don't, I question your feelings for them. I truly do. And here's why. Look at what he says later. It says, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? God goes, the reason I say this is I do it to you guys. The moment I adopt you as my children, what you can guarantee is God will discipline you. And God goes, of course I would, because that shows you're mine and that I love you. And think, that makes sense. Haven't you all been in that situation where you've seen the kid going off in a restaurant or somewhere and you go, if that was my kid, I would not be handling it that way. Now, none of you, I hope not, go take that child, grab them aside and go, I'll take care of this. I'm going to discipline them the right way. None of us do that. Why? Because we go, not my kid. Though I don't think you're doing the right thing, not my kid. So I'm not going to discipline your child. And that's basically what God's saying here. Those who love them, those who care for them, those that actually are their father, those that are actually are their parents, go, because you're mine and I love you, I discipline you. That is the sign of fathership. That is the sign of mothership. Is that I have the right to do this and do it because you're mine. Not doing it, God just doesn't get it. Why would you act like they're not yours? Why would you not do that? Now listen, this goes back to that whole part of motivated by love. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. And so this comes back to the motive. God says balance. He says you need to discipline them, you need to spank them, you need to take care of that, but it needs to be in love and you need to be careful that you don't become so hard on them that all you're ever doing is pushing them away and discouraging them. If the motive is love, that should be what's felt. And what you should see is an edifying effect upon your child where their behavior and their character increases. But if what your discipline instead does is continues to crush them and break them down, you're doing something wrong. And to be honest, this is where parents, it's hard. Because every kid's different. Me, I needed to get whooped. All the time. I needed to be spanked. That was just me. Uh, A discerning look from dad, a, hey, don't do that, was probably not going to get me to stop. Now, my little brother hardly ever got spanked. And not because he wouldn't be bad. It was just as soon as my dad would go, son, Reed," would be like, all right, I'm going to get right. And Reed just responded very differently than I did. And so my dad was focused on that because he knew if he responded the way he did with me, with him, it wouldn't get the right effects. And so this is where he focused and he studied to know who we were, how we worked, what was important to us, and what was the right way to discipline us. Now do you understand in all that thing, that's work. It's work. As a parent, you should be studying your child. Who are they? How do they think? How do they act? How do they feel? How do they love? All those things you need to know. And then you need to be doing the right things to shape them in the right way. Parenting is not something that is an afterthought or you just kind of do. It has to be motivated by love, has to be continual, has to be a focus. Last point. Parents, you have the influence to make disciples. You have the absolute influence to make disciples. Love boys are the greatest joy of my life. My favorite moment is every day around somewhere between 5.30 and 6 o'clock when I get home. One of them runs to me, gets about two feet away, and then starts running the other way because he wants me to chase him. The other runs to me gives me this big bear hug and tells me how much he loves me. It's the best part of my day. They're an absolute joy. But there's a funny thing that I've seen happen lately where a lot of Christians want to act like they don't have influence over their kids well, hey, everybody's got their own free will, man. I, I, can't, I can't make them be a believer. I can't make them be good people. I can't make them do those things. And you're right, you can't make them. But let's not pretend that you don't have an unbelievable amount of influence on them. I see parents even from a young age like hedging their bets that in case the kid grows up to be some serial killer who doesn't love God, that they can be like, well, you know, it's his own life. Yet what's funny is if I asked any parent, do you think you have a high probability of making your kid love you? I think you'd go, yes. I mean, there's no human being in the entire world who has ever been put into a position to be as likely or probable or as biased to want to love you. You helped create them you nurture them, you feed them, you provide a house for them, you care for them, you love them, you have fun with them, you do things with them. Nobody else will ever have so much to owe you to go like, man, these people loved me. These people took care of me. And so I don't expect that you can guarantee your children will be believers or guarantee that you can consider they'll be great people. The reality is, brothers and sisters, you have unbelievable influence unbelievable influence. I mean, what's funny is I know dads who, like, if their kids grew up and didn't root for the Cowboys, it would be like a failure. They'd be like, wow, he's a Redskins fan. How'd that happen? And there's no fear that, like, their kid will ever grow up and be that because they're like, of course. I love the team. Grandpa loves the team. Uncles love the team. We watch the team all the time. We enjoy the team. How would they not like the team? Everything we do in this family pulls us to the team. And it's easy. You don't even have to try. It's why in my household, I have a four-year-old who likes the Chicago Bulls, even though he's been born and raised in San Antonio, Texas. Why? Because Dad likes the Chicago Bulls. And Dad wears Bulls jerseys, and Dad watches Bulls games. And when Dad shoots a piece of trash into the garbage, he goes, Bulls win. So they go, hey, I want to be like Dad. I like the Bulls. Guys, if I can do that with a sports team, shouldn't I start to see them go, man, God's awesome? Why do I think God's awesome? Because everything mom and dad do, scream, God's awesome. (laughs) They sing songs that talk about how God's awesome, and they pray to God every day, and they read God's word, and they make decisions based on what God wants. And when they see something beautiful in the world, they go, isn't God amazing? Isn't God awesome? And all those things start to pull those children to realize God's amazing. God's wonderful. God's great. The saddest thing in our church in America right now is that 90% of the children raised in our churches will leave at 18 and not come back. I'm not talking about kids not raised in church. I'm talking about the kids in the church. 90% of them, as soon as they don't have to choose, are not forced to go anymore, they will leave and they won't come back. And you go talk to those kids, and you know why? They go, because, guys, it's just a game. Mom and Dad weren't real about that stuff. Like, Mom and Dad's Christianity was them going to church on a Sunday. And then the rest of the week, they were like everybody else. So why am I going to do that? I don't have time for that. I don't need to play games. Kids who see their parents genuinely love the Lord genuinely serve the Lord, they're going to be highly predisposed to love and to serve the Lord. It's not a guarantee for everyone, but it's a high probability. You have that ability to help put these kids on a path to make them disciples. Look at Deuteronomy 6, verses 6-7, through it says, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart, you shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. Always love that verse. saying, parents, when you talk to your kids about God, it should not be like, oh, at church on Sundays from like 11.30 to 12. It's like always. When you sit, when you stand, when you walk, when you eat, when you sleep, everything you do points back to God. Everything. God envelopes your life. God envelopes your actions. And it's something that your children just always are part of. Some of you have locked your time with God and your kids to this small little moment. It should be every day. Every day, every moment you discipline them? Do you explain that you're disciplining them because one, they acted in a way that God would not like. Two, because God has told you that you need to discipline them. Do you explain to them that when you ask them to be kind and to loving, it's because God has built them to be loving towards people. Have you explained to them that you come to church not to have fun because here you're to show God that you love him. And by singing songs to God, you do that. Do you explain all these things to them? There are some little kids in that room. I can ask them the mission and they'll know it. Because we regularly talk to them about It's part of the fabric of their life. Make sure you're doing this. You and I have a mission. And it is to go and to make disciples of all nations. Don't forget that the easiest nation in the world to reach is the one in your own home. Where your little kids every day are watching everything you do. Brothers and sisters, God has given us something unbelievably precious and with unbelievable potential. The question, though, is is how do we steward that potential? Do we let it run free into chaos and to sin? Do we watch it turn into something that can't be controlled, that has no self-discipline, and that runs astray from God? Or do we help shape that, mold it, and love it so that it becomes something that is honorable, that it becomes something that loves God, serves the world, and makes a difference. I'll tell you what was funny. The thing that changed most for me in my life was becoming a father. Because suddenly I cared less about my legacy and cared way more about theirs. For me, success in life will one day be as if I can look at my two boys and go, those men serve God. That's it. I really could care less if anybody ever remembers me I could really care less if anybody even remembers my name or what I've done. But if they can look at those two boys and go, those men serve God, I'll go, yes. (coughs) Thank goodness. I'll tell you what, that consumes me every day. Every day. Because that's the legacy. That's the important thing. That's the thing that matters because those children aren't mine. They're his. And God forbid I get there one day and he goes, what happened? I gave you two precious things and you never took care of them. You've been given gifts. Cherish them. And the beauty is if you do, the joy they will give you will be beyond anything you could ever imagine. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.